electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, while stocks take a breather from the recent rip-roaring rally, a new face to our desk tonight is all bowled up and thinks the next leg higher will be driven by old economy cyclical names. Plus, Beijing blues. Chinese stocks getting hit hard as fears grow that the slowdown on the mainland is getting worse and that consumers there are tapped out. But we'll hear from one market watcher who sees potential green shoots on the horizon. And later, inside the crew crumble, the impact of an animated miss on Disney and a first look at Jim Cramer's one-on-one as he goes behind the wheel, literally, with four. CEO Jim Farley from Fast Cars to Fast Money. Ooh. I'm Melissa Lee, live from the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and our special guest tonight, Savita Subramanian from B of A Securities. And we begin with a rough start to the week for the markets. The major indices all down for a second straight session, the Dow falling 245 points. Though closing off the lows of the day, the S&P and Nasdaq dipping less than a half a percent. The biggest sector lagger today, energy sliding more than 2%. Materials and utilities also closing lower. This after the major indices all hit multi-month highs last week. But even as the rally seems to be stalling, someone on this desk tonight is more bullish than they have been in at least a decade. And that person is our special guest tonight, Savita Supermania. So why more bullish than you've been in a decade? Well, I mean, I think the market is more rational than it's been in a decade, which is great news because we're, you know, finally done with this sort of experiment of zero interest rates. We know what the Fed's going to do. We're off of a zero bound. We have five percentage points of latitude to ease our way out of the next recession. Real rates are no longer negative. I mean, I think that we're at a, a place where visibility and you know, kind of transparency of corporates is better than it was over the last 10 plus years. Now, in terms of returns over the next 10 years, maybe they're a little bit lower than what we've enjoyed. But I think that they're they're driven by the right stuff, productivity, efficiency. Companies are doing all the right things right now. And I think it's kind of interesting to see corporate America adapt to this weird world that we've lived through. Um, so so that's why I think that we've got a lot of a, a lot more rational of a market setup today. So some might point to, though, the rally in AI-related stocks and say that is not that's rational. That's not rational. That's sort of bubbly. And then, and then we had Kava debut last week right. and, and doubled in its first day of trading. I mean, it's a, it's a Mediterranean bold company. So I mean, parts of the market are still in a, in a little bit of a, a bubble-like territory. But I think that where we are in terms of the broader economy is that you know, the areas that have been starved of capital for the last 10 years are, you know, all the problem children of 2008 and 2009, like big, you know, banks, um, big banks, not small banks. Um, When you look at energy companies, materials, industrials, these companies haven't done what they typically do in a booming economy, which is spend and create capacity. They have gotten very rational. Uh, Commodity companies have gotten supply discipline. I feel like we're at a place where, Old economy companies have learned how to survive without capital and actually look pretty interesting at these levels. So, Savita, um, by the way, welcome to the desk and Thank a desk you. where we referenced the movie Stripes on the way in, by the way, Melissa. I'm sure oh, you're, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh. Fast cars and fast money, of course. But, oh, OK. So the markets are more rational or is it possibly that they're less irrational? 
than they were. I mean, Maybe I would make an argument. Right way to say we it, were yeah. so irrational in terms of positioning, sentiment, and whatnot at the end of last year. And, and uh, um, some of that's just all that. It's just some of the technicals of the market, positioning, sentiment. Uh, and we talk about that. That's part of the rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, but then I also hear you saying, really, when it gets to fundamentals, a lot of the people that think the AI stuff was, was irrational is... Is it because it's not going to usher in this massive tech spend? Sounds like you think that it might. And it sounds I, like that's, you know, that's the real deal. I think AI is it's complicated and it's but it's not just a tech story, which is what's exciting about it. Right. I mean, it's it's the idea that companies that have been clunky and haven't really fixed themselves in a long time have the opportunity to get leaner and lighter. I mean, I think what's interesting is that labor productivity just stalled out for the last 10 years right. because companies didn't have to really think about where they were going to generate earnings from. They had free capital. They could just buy back their stocks. So they had this like kind of low-hanging fruit of low-quality earnings growth. And I think today what we're seeing is AI is just part of this whole efficiency automation, you know, doing more with less um, theme that I think is going to be really really bullish for, for corporate margins. So, so the question is, what's worse, getting off of globalization, which we seem to be doing, paying a higher cost of capital, but also kind of writing our business models and really thinking about permanent uh, productivity growth. And what we've found in our quant work is that the market assigns a higher multiple to companies that are focused on efficiency and productivity rather than just cost cutting and, and kind of financial engineering. So I think that's exciting. That's why I'm, I'm bullish. Again, you know, I think there are parts of the market that are irrational, but I'm no tech analyst and our tech mm -hmm. analyst believes mm -hmm. this AI theme is strong. It's a long tailed theme. Companies are going to have to spend on AI just to stay alive. Um, tech companies are going to spend on AI. Old economy companies are going to spend on AI. Everybody is. So it's not just, you know, a one theme market, but I think the productivity gains are really what I'm I'm more so, excited about. Sabita, you just mentioned some of these old economy stocks that have learned actually how to maybe manage their businesses better. But well, I look at one chart. I look at the Fed's balance sheet over the last four years yes. and I look at it going from four trillion to nine trillion. Now it's back at eight point four. And I wonder how well they actually had to manage when you consider just how much accommodation, both fiscal and monetary, that has existed over the last few years. And I feel like some of this could be a mirage and this AI story might have come at the perfect sort of time if you think about it when we were seeing data that is slowing for the broader economy we're clearly seeing it across the globe Europe right now and obviously in China yeah so data is slowing and I think we are in a credit cycle I totally agree with you I worry about the companies that have been inflated by Fed balance sheets but what's interesting is when you look at the companies that have seen the largest multiple expansion from just the Fed buying everything, those are growth stocks. Those are tech. Those are, you know, smaller, growthier companies with longer duration that need capital to survive. But most of the S&P 500 is actually generating free cash flow. I mean, what I worry about are maybe the zombie companies that have been kept afloat by just free money. But I don't think those are as acute within the S&P 500. And then when you look at the real long duration companies like, you know, communication services, new media, they're actually doing the right things. They're cutting costs. They're returning cash to shareholders through big buybacks. They're basically shortening their duration risk. Like if you think about this as a bond investor, what these companies that had great growth way out in the future are doing is they're giving you a coupon right now. 
But my point is more that we've alchemied out a recession, right? So everyone was convinced at 3,600 in the S&P last October that we were going to have a recession in 2023. But all of this liquidity has put that off, and it's given a lot of companies that might not be trading at the valuations where they are at not, you know, I mean, they're they're doing just fine, I guess, is part of the point. Potentially. I mean, here's my view, and it's, I I mean, nobody agrees with me on this, but. um, We'll see. Hold on. (laughs) Well, I I think that real rates are actually going to move higher from where they are now. And what's interesting is that when real rates move higher, the equity risk premium almost always moves lower. So you actually want to be in stocks and you want to be in high beta stocks in an environment where real rates are moving Can higher. Can you explain that? Because on some level, um, you know, when I think higher real rates, I, I think it, it on some level makes the value of equity investing and reaching out the risk curve less valuable. Right, so. right. But when you look at actually the cost of capital for equities over time, what's really remarkable and what I was surprised by is that it's the cost of equity stays relatively stable and there's this trade-off between real rates and the equity risk premium. So what happened last year, right? It felt like a horrible market, but actually high beta stocks did really well and the low beta or the growthier areas of the market derated. So that's why I think it gets interesting is that we're all ascribing this, you know, this, this, um, this value to defensives and quality because we're going into a recession. But meanwhile, What's actually really cheap and disciplined and it has the potential to return capital are, you know, cyclicals that have basically gotten very lean and have supply discipline. It's a very weird argument, but what we found, I think this is where the quant work helps because we've really found this very strong relationship between equity risk premia and real rates. And I think the reason real rates move higher is actually bullish, which is productivity. And we've seen this time and time again. Whenever we get productivity gains in the economy, we see real rates move higher. So it's it's kind of a, a good story. It's not all bad out there. So you're the most bullish you've been in 10 years. Well, Your target's 4,300 well, grand. So I think there have been better points at which to enter the market. And, you know, back in 2011, we were really bullish because mm-hmm. the market was so dirt cheap. Today, it's not as cheap. But I think that there are parts of the S&P 500 that look incredibly attractive. And the, the underlying, like the, the thing that's obscured by mega caps is if you take out the 50 biggest stocks, the PE of the S&P 500 X50 is 15 times trailing earnings, which is actually relatively low. So I think that there are value opportunities, but they're right now being obscured by this sort of AI bubble. So the real call here, because we're, we're above your year at price target. We are. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with this, this exactly. market. I mean, when you raise it, I think you're above your price target at that point in time, which had been 4,000, or you were right we were there. We raised it before it cleared it, it, it our target, but we had like a right. week. Exactly, exactly. Yes. It's, it's hard to catch up with this market. Yes. But the real call here seems to be going to, if you had to choose between, say, S&P versus RSP, equal weight S&P, that the choice would be RSP, equal weight S&P. Equal weight, yeah. absolutely. I think the market just broadens out from here. Um, I think what we're seeing right now is, you know, I mean, it's it's not necessarily a bubble in tech. Some tech companies are going to do great. Other tech companies aren't. But I think where we are now is actually a pretty good setup for the overall economy. I mean, think about it. We've been waiting for this recession for six quarters now, ever since the beginning of last year. Clients have been getting more and more bearish and more and more positioned for this, this impending recession. Our economists are forecasting a recession two quarters out with a peak to trough decline of 0.8% GDP. No biggie. 
That's no like, biggie. Whatever. That's like kind of a nothing <laughs> recession. It's like a soft, shallow recession. You know, we're, we're seeing negative earnings growth, but I think this year we could see maybe minus 5% earnings growth. As long as demand holds up, consumers and corporates have a ton of money that the government and the Fed gave us. So, you know, I feel like things aren't as bad as one might paint it. And I, I could not agree with this more. This is really what we've been saying really all year. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> she, she even said You're no one's going to agree with me. Uh, so here we go. <laughs> uh, but we do find that with with a lot of our clients, where they come to us and they're overweight the S and P, they're overweight these tech these tech companies. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is how yes, the the markets have been doing fantastic this year. Yes, they're into new bear mar- bull market territory. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, take out just those top top couple of stocks, and the rest of the S&P is really just getting started right now. I think that's what people have to realize. Really, you haven't missed out on the rally. It's just now broadening. And I think, to your point, there's a lot of areas right now that are really great value. Um, and I think you, you you say this perfectly. So when you say you want to be in beta, high beta stocks, when you when typically you think of high beta stocks, you think of technology. Here you're really talking about beta that will exist in other sectors. Is that what right, the message right. is? Right, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, what's interesting is that tech used to be high beta, and now it has dropped in beta. Yeah. It's now considered kind of defensive, like software companies are defensive. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Maybe they're not. Uh, maybe, you know, software companies are going to have to spend a bunch of money on chips and AI in order to remain competitive and remain alive. I think what might be more uh, high beta today are energy, materials. I actually think today morning, the, um, the housing starts number was a sign that we could be in for a pretty good period for commodities, lumber, metals, et cetera. It's not just about China. It's also about what's happening here in the U.S. And we've underbuilt single-family homes. We've underspent on, you know, manufacturing capacity. And those are themes that we're starting to see companies really break ground on. Here's a question I really want to ask, and that is, as a strategist, you you start out and you have to put out this year-end forecast, you know, 14 months before the next year ends, Indeed. which is really hard. And so, you know, when you put that initial target out, you thought there was going to be a recession. I'm just wondering, at what point do you say, you know what, it's time for me to completely rethink the thesis? And what was that sort of light bulb moment? What was you, that moment? Is it, was it just that the markets were, were shooting higher and you're like, I can't, I can't miss out on this? Or I mean, it was, I don't think, it wasn't just momentum. I think it was the idea, even at the beginning of the year, we were looking at sentiment measures and, and positioning. It was like the most consensus call was, you know, be out of stocks in the first half and then buy them in the second half. And that was what everybody was saying. And, you know, so we looked at this and we thought, okay, the risk is that it does the exact opposite. And here we are at the beginning of the second half. I think there could be some downside risk in the overall index. But I think what you want to do is stay long the uh, the, R, the equal weighted index. Well, lucky for us, Savita's sticking around, so we'll have much more of this conversation coming up. Meantime, let's get to an earnings alert on FedEx. Those shares are dropping after hours, although off their lows after the company missed revenue estimates for the quarter and said it's still facing a challenging demand environment. That conference call is underway right now. Frank Holland's got the details. Frank. Melissa, just listening to the call now, CEO Raj Subramanian saying soft volumes weighed on the quarter and also really tried to detail how FedEx, is, FedEx uses tech logistics, including machine learning and robotics. But overall, it was really mixed guidance that weighed on this quarter. Revenue slightly above estimates, full-year EPS guidance with a very wide range with the midpoint falling well short of estimates. Also, a departure in the C-suite, CFO Mike Lenz announcing his retirement. 
Each FedEx segment missed revenue estimates. In the report, they pointed to weaker volumes overseas and inflation offsetting cost-cutting efforts, including the drive initiative that aims to cut $4 billion in costs by fiscal year 2025 and also Network 2.0, a really broad plan to consolidate all express ground and freight units into one company that management also hopes a move they hope will reduce costs. Now, in the release, Canada, uh, in FedEx's unit in Canada, has already has ground shipments being delivered by Express. FedEx says they're undergoing a similar process in 20 markets total. Margin also a major metric for FedEx. Only ground beat expectations. Ground also seeing its pricing increase by 5%, Melissa. All right, Frank, thanks. Keep us posted on the conference call. Frank Holland with details on FedEx. Um, FedEx has had quite a run, Tim, since September. Yeah. What happened here? So, I, look, I, if the stock hadn't rallied 57% into yeah. these numbers, and we were dealing with a company also that seemed like a broken company three quarters ago, um, the world's very different after 60% over the last eight months. And I think with FedEx, there's a lot of moving pieces in between the macro, um, you know, industry-specific issues, especially around unions and whatnot, and then getting into truly some of the demand issues. And then, of course, there's the FedEx-specific on costs and whatnot. I, I, there's nothing I heard in here that sounded like FedEx, the broken company. In fact, if you look at UPS, it's trading down almost in sympathy. Um, I, I, you know, I think the demand outlook is, is not great, right? I mean, they, this, is, this is something that would be pushing back on whether you're a theorist or people that are talking to this could be early cycle stuff. FedEx tends to usually be well ahead of all the other companies and, in fact, um, had a big move. But um, I, I wouldn't get too worked up one way or the other. I'm happier to hear that the company-specific stuff sounds okay. Yeah. FedEx problem or, you, or overall problem, macro problem? Um, I think this is more FedEx specific. I think really what people want to see with FedEx is they were very excited about the cost cutting measures that they were that they're talking about, which you actually brought up a good point earlier. We need to see them become more efficient, not just simply cutting costs. And if yes, they can cut costs, but also if their demand isn't going down, they aren't increasing the efficiency, it's not going to help them. Um, so I think there's some positives here, but yeah, they need to get that that demand, which people are moving towards services, less towards goods, which isn't a good thing towards FedEx. That's what we have to watch. Yeah, we were using that term rational or irrational, and, and this seems irrational, right? Trading at 12 times expected earnings growth at 20% for the next two years. Why does the stock trade at such a discount to like a market multiple in this and environment? Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, so yeah. to me, I, I think there's. Like I, you know, Sabina, and I, I agree with everything, Courtney, you know, uh, the props to the way you laid that out. And it's a hard environment, I think, right now to kind of lay out that sort of bullish outlook that you're doing. And again, I, we recognize you're not saying go all in right here with, you know, the Nasdaq up 35 percent on the year and everything like that. But there's plenty of pockets of the stock market that are telling a very different picture other than about 10 stocks that uh, make up 25 percent of this S&P 500 and 50 percent of the Nasdaq 100. And FedEx is kind Kind of one of them. Energy is another area. Small caps are another area. Materials Your are another. Your extrapolation of that, though, is that there is something uh, more sinister going on, or, or a bad picture of the economy, versus there are there are pockets of hope in those undervalued it's, parts of the market. It's not as much of the economy. Like when I think about it, and I know we're going to talk about China, but like you know, the, the stuff around China just doesn't feel good. And one of the things that got this stock market going in January and February was that that switch from zero COVID in China, and this expectation that the was just going to turn the global economy. But bad on. news is good news, right, China? I mean, I feel like that people are expecting now more stimulus to right. be chucked at the Even problem. Better, right? Even and, but and, did and you today, see how Chinese mark stocks traded? Well, it wasn't today. enough today. Yeah, uh, they wanted more. I, I, I guess my only point is, is like you know, on cue, this AI narrative came into the market at a time where the Fed was doing QT, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and, and, I mean, and it feels like we again, this is a Gaidami term, but he said we alchemied out recessions, <laughs> which are normal <laughs> sorts of course, and we were just missing that, and I. 
I fear that the more concentration that we have in this small group of stocks that everybody's talking about. Kroger last week talked about AI. Lennar is talking sure, about it. Yeah, These yeah, guys yeah. are going to talk about AI's it. It's a fugazi. A I'm just time. telling you, this is what tech is. This is why companies invest in tech. This is why they have, you know, CapEx and R&D and this and it that, whatever. Like way back when, they're, when people were like, oh, we, we're going to use the Internet. So we're an Internet we're, company. But so <laughs> Isn't this one of your points? Like, isn't this yeah. one of your points is that corporate margins go back? Well, no, your point was that um, companies that are not tech companies are, are everybody's getting more productive on the back of well, AI. And that, to. in fact, the multiples get better because the margins get better mm-hmm. and that everybody benefits. Here. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just AI. It's also automation and, and spend on just efficiency. We've seen this in play for the last couple of years. In fact, our, um, our industrials team has been writing about how these automation companies have just been minting money from uh, from from capex on on efficiency spend so i think this is like clockwork every time you've seen uh labor inflation companies tend to spend on automation and then two years later bingo productivity Mm. so i think that's the bull case not just you know a few stocks that benefit from ai i agree with you some of this is getting crazy but i think underneath the surface there are we are sowing the seeds for a longer term productivity cycle which is something we haven't really seen in a long time like i've forgotten what it looks like you know, I've forgotten what it looks like to see companies actually think about, you know, efficiency, doing more, um, you know, replacing people. We haven't had to worry about that for a very long time. Yeah. Coming up, out of energy, crude getting crushed and bringing oil stocks down along with it. So how should you navigate this energy trade? The traders will break it down ahead. Plus, our own Jim Cramer running shotgun with Ford CEO Jim Farley today. What he had to say about the automaker's EV plans. Sneak peek of that interview in the auto trade when fast money rolls on. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Four chairs falling today after their recent rally. CEO Jim Farley telling our Jim Cramer that the area in which the company will really dominate may be not where you think. I saw the company struggle with trying to do everything every day. And that focus and, frankly, accountability of the financial markets to turn our EV business into a profitable business, I, I thought was, we thought as a leadership team, the key thing. It's not easy, but the secret at Ford is something that people don't talk about, which is our pro business. I mean, we are the dominant player globally in commercial vehicles. Catch the full interview tonight on Mad Money right here on CNBC at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Really got a boost when it uh, agreed to 
adapt the NACS technology from Tesla. It did, as did GM. And, yep. and I think the whole, the whole sector got a boost and Tesla got a boost, too. So, I mean, the fact that we're working towards common standards is, it should get everybody more excited about and the speed and the pace of, of EV. The issue with Ford, though, is Ford is a company that's guiding at 10 percent margins by 2026 and no one believes them. The streets got them at 6 percent. And I think that's what both Jim's interview, which sounds fascinating, is 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 getting to the core. And, I, you know, I'm not sure what they're saying there. I'll tell you that getting to the core of efficiency at Ford and breaking down the reporting units into those three lines and then identifying where Pro really could be uh, a game changer, but where you can value it as such. That's the key to Ford, because it's 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 GM and Ford are both ridiculously cheap, even as auto companies, I believe. And the demand metrics both in the U.S. and Europe right now are a lot better than anybody expected. So you can't really talk about their end markets right now. You can you can. I'm sure Dan believes the auto market probably not going to be so great out of here. And you, you, you may be right, guys, but. I follow this guy <laughs> on Patreon, Troy Tesla. Okay, he tracks te- uh, Tesla's backlog, okay, and their inventory and their days waiting. In the U.S. right now, the backlog is for 18,000 cars. This stock just gained 2% in the last hour of the day. This is Tesla. Tesla. I'm switching gears here, bro. Okay, go again. <laughs> in, 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 in an area where there Tesla. are no gears, so I'm out. switching gears here, okay? <laughs> like in China, the backlog right now is for 13,000 cars. So Tesla has appreciated the way it has over the last month during all these announcements about because this. Because they super- have recurring revenue now. Right. They're changing Which the business is model. fantastic. But the stock has also gained $300 billion in market cap during this same time period when people are going to be using a different like little connector to charge their electric and car. And Tesla every single time. No, they're not. It. You know why? Here's the, the thing. Mel, if you, want, if you want a Tesla right now, network? okay, the wait time is the lowest it's been in like years. Okay. And they're offering three years of free supercharging. So this is going to be the ultimate commodity. Okay. It's going to be the ultimate commodity. I just don't get there's like insanity going on here, people. I mean, like and, and everyone thinks this is normal. And this is going to be another trillion dollar market cap company. Part of this magnificent seven that you guys are all calling it. Nifty 50 Doug Katz. What do we got here? He's going to tweet them out. We got them all. All the names for all the moves in the markets over the last 50 years. It doesn't end well when they start naming things. Remember Fang? Those stocks all lost like 70 percent of their value from their highs in November 2021. Ford and GM, what do you think? Well, yeah, I feel like isn't everything that you're saying that's anti-Tesla probably good for Ford? They'll be thinking sure. about it, right? Sure, have at it. Have a ball at 11 times earnings, and I believe it's not 11 times earnings. Whatever. It's it's, it's, right? it's seven. It's seven, t- it's yeah. seven times. That's GM's 5.4 times. Right. I, I mean, mean, they're not even even better. I'm just saying. You know, you, you've been suggesting it since it was 11 bucks uh, a month ago, and you've had a nice trade on it. Well, it's 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 not even about nice trades or not. I mean, to me, I, I think we're talking about auto companies that most people believe guilty until, until proven innocent, especially the, the, the OEMs, at least Ford and GM. They, their EV businesses right now are a long way from being profitable. Um, Tesla's, the, the, like, I, I agree. I don't want to pay this multiple for Tesla. I haven't ever wanted to pay it. So I'm not someone that's, that's going to die on the Tesla hill here. Um, I, I do think that there are dynamics in getting the entire EV space more attuned and more in line. And when you start to see Ford and GM buddying up with Elon, it, you know, it, it, they're only doing it for their own advantage. Let's be clear. They're not doing it because they want to throw Tesla at bone. But but it does tell me that the entire EV space is moving faster. And, and that's really what the story is. I mean, the technicals, the charts, I mean, you know, those are things that I wouldn't be. So that a seven times for Ford is still not a value. 
I don't think so. But yeah. but I, I Ford is, is a prove to me story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Mr. Farley would say the same thing at this point. That's why they've taken very aggressive moves. They brought in outsiders. They're revamping their management style, um, even though we know they have some of the best and most iconic brands in the auto industry. I like Ford for that. Courtney, just quickly, GM, is it also uh, a show me story? It is. Yeah, I think they're all going to benefit from the additional charging space in there. I, I would probably take a Ford over a GM. They are the second best-selling EV out there right now. And I think as you are seeing some of these backlogs and now additional charging, I think you're going to start to see more more demand going towards there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think both long-term is going to be a good thing for the entire industry. All right. A lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Crude getting crushed. Oil stocks dropping on weakening demand out of China. What it means for the whole energy space next. And speaking of China, a big leadership shakeup at one of the country's biggest tech companies. And a high-profile visit from the U.S. Secretary of State. What it all could mean for markets going forward. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Falling to kick off the shortened trading week, the Dow dropping more than 200 points. The S&P down nearly half a percent and the Nasdaq losing a tenth of a percent. Boeing losing air today, dropping more than three percent. And one of the worst performers in the Dow, the company, along with Airbus, front and center at the Paris Air Show, where carriers are expected to order over 2,000 jets. Disney falling after a rough opening weekend for Pixar's new movie, Elemental. The animated film raking in just $29.6 million. That's the lowest three-day weekend start in the studio's history. Well, crude also under pressure today. Analysts at China's largest oil producer and supplier, CNPC, cutting their forecast for demand growth from over 5 percent to about 3.5 percent this year. Energy, the worst performing S&P 500 sector today with Philips 66, Halliburton, Devon Energy, seeing some of the steepest losses. It has been a tough trade this year. Savita, is this a value area? Energy? Yeah, Yeah. I like energy a lot. I think energy is an interesting sector. I think it has the... um, I think the catalyst right now is what we're seeing in terms of CapEx. So what's interesting is energy companies have gotten safer and and they've basically transformed from paying their CEOs exclusively on production to now paying CEOs on cash return, on ESG goals. They're not going to start drilling again at the least provocation of a move higher in prices. So I think that translates to smoother earnings. Energy was always this boom bust sector with super volatile earnings. They've paid down a lot of debt. They've got this dividend that's sacrosanct. They're focused on cash return. I think this is a sector that could re-rate. And on top of that, what we're hearing is, again, you know, tech companies moving stuff out of China back to the U.S., Companies, you know, basically reshoring, friendshoring for national security reasons, as well as, you know, uh, climate decarbonization reasons. So there's a theme going on here where we've underspent on 
manufacturing capacity for 10 years. And I think that's starting to play out. So I think what's interesting is that companies have every reason to guide down on everything right now. I mean, they have every reason to sandbag us and give us these really low numbers, but they're actually guiding above what analysts are expecting on planned capex, traditional capex, not tech. So I think we're at a point where after spending exclusively on tech for the last you know, 10 plus years, we're now starting to see a mixed shift towards traditional manufacturing capex as well as um, as technology. And and then housing, which I right. mentioned earlier, is pretty bullish for, for uh, oil and traditional capex. We're in energy. Well, this was about China today, at least. Yeah, and by the way, this is where I go full Courtney on my uh, total agreement with Savita again. In other words, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the story in the energy sector, is that these companies are run for shareholders, equity side, not debt shareholders on the growth side. And and there, there's a fight amongst energy companies to see who can pay back the most amount of, of free cash flow. Uh, and, and I think we don't want to see them with a heavy CapEx cycle. So unlike some of these other places where we're kind of hoping the CapEx cycle in tech land brings us out. Uh, in terms of the China side of it, um, like demand is net growing, okay? And, and until it's not, it's growing. And, and I, I understand the dynamics around, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a industrial recession. There's no question about that. We look at PMIs around the world. Um, but I, I, I look at the growth that's coming out of the emerging world, India for sure, and China um, still is still putting more aggregate base oil demand every year. It's building upon itself. It's not being broken down. So um, I still think the supply demand and demand dynamics um, favor the supply side of this. And, and I think supply side of it, I don't see new supply coming online. I see, if anything, people cutting it. Coming up, CEO shakeup when a China's largest tech company is changing leadership as U.S. and China resume high-level talks. What the meetings mean for Baba and the whole China trade next. Plus, KB Home on deck to report results. The options traders are digesting May's hot housing starts for a look into where that stock could be heading, how they are playing this name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chinese internet stocks getting slammed today. Pinduoduo, JD.com, Tencent, and Alibaba falling despite what some have turned a productive meeting between U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Chinese President Xi Jinping. Our next guest says that conversation could lead to green shoots for investors. Let's bring in Crane Shares Chief Investment Officer Brendan Ahern. Brendan, great to have you with us. Um, why do you see that? I mean, the, the, maybe the most positive thing is that they agreed that they will talk again and that things will continue. Um, what, what other positive developments did you see out of this meeting? Well, just the fact that a U.S. diplomat went to China the first time in five years is a step forward, as well as coming out of the meeting, it was agreed that some senior folks from China will be making the reverse trip to meet here in Washington, D.C. So obviously just the communication and dialogue between the two most important uh, economic relationship in the world is actually a small step forward. When you take a look, though, at, at some of these, you know, China ETS, Brendan, what do you think is a bigger would be the bigger catalyst, though, continuing talks like this or more stimulus from the Chinese government? Well, on, on the former, that the geopolitical has kept many institutional investors on the sidelines, that they're worried about putting a China name in, in their portfolio and the potential new headline or Twitter tape bomb come out. So I think it's left uh, institutional investors very much underweight China. Um, and certainly in terms of China's stimulus, I think the only the 10 basis point loan primary cut left many investors wanting. They want to see policymakers step on the stimulus gas. And I'm wondering what your take was on the Alibaba news. Um, Joe Tsai, you know, co-founder of Alibaba, um, Dan Zhang, you know, heading the, the cloud business. I would think that this would have been very positive. Was it just for 
um, you know, the, the, the dashed hope that there would be a huge China stimulus and that didn't come through? Is that why these stocks all traded lower? I think it was the macro today, Melissa, as well as it is a holiday week at the end of this week in China and Hong Kong. So you're probably going to see some thin volumes, which exacerbate moves. But I think ultimately we're waiting for the market to go from being a weighing machine to a voting machine, right? That that, you know, for Amazon's market cap, you can buy every company in K-Web today and still have $55 billion in cash, just of significant underinvestment in China, uh, as highlighted by, you know, the ability to buy all of these names just for the market cap of Amazon today. Brennan, my question, I guess, really gets back to the news around Alibaba and investors. You see this Western investors especially have found Chinese mega cap tech companies off limits because of Big Brother. So uh, I guess, you know, you see Joe Tsai, you see one of Jack Ma's boys um, essentially being asserted to the helm of, of a company that was under the pressure and Jack was essentially banished. Isn't this great news? Melissa commented she thought it was, you know, it was good. Yeah, I mean, I think she agrees. I, I just that news and the fact that you got a sense of really what what Ali Cloud is worth and Alipay, you can do the sum yeah. of the parts. Um, and yeah. to me, this is this is actually I'm a lot more excited by today's move and surprise, surprises went down. Yeah, yeah, Tim. I mean, I think my the terrible sentiment I feel is usually an indication of a low. I mean, we're at positioning back at where we were in October 22. Uh, so I, th I would agree that this news shows we'd have a definitive date of when the spinoffs could start to happen, which would be uh, the September 10th when Eddie Wu takes over for Zhang. So I think I'm with you. I think it's actually a positive. I just can't really explain why investors um, aren't coming into these names based on some of the fundamentals. All right, Brandon, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. Good to get your take. Brandon Ahern of Crane Shares. Um, Dan, did you think that that was, I mean, I thought it was positive because you could sure. actually see who was going to head each business and get a sense of how the businesses would operate. You know, it's funny. I've asked people who know Joe Tsai, has he been back in, in Beijing in the last few years? Like he lives here in the U.S. He owns the Nets. He right. owns a lot of like, investor. you know, like, like, would he go back to Beijing? Has he been back? Has that been reported? I mean, like that, I think, I that, think this, this would tell me it's green light. It's like, it's, it's back. Like they've, they've paid their dues. They kissed the ring maybe, yeah. and it's time. But are you willing to take the, I, I mean, I just find it really, if, I, you, have I, to I ask, if you have to ask that question about a chairman of a company this size, you know what I mean? In, in a country like China, who happens to do no business here for the most part, but lives here, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying, like, or you, know. you can interpret it as he is a westernized face for a Chinese company, which could help institutional investors gain more comfort in investing in a name like Alibaba. Yeah, and I think people are really over putting too much weight on some of the short term pressures here. But I think they're really underestimating. I think the longer term, too, when we look at China, we look at Alibaba. I think all of these are actually going to be positives. And I think you just really have to look at. Um, yes, China is getting a slower start. And yes, um, they're probably going to have some stimulus. Maybe it wasn't as much as people wanted to see today. Uh, but I think all of this, it's going to lead up. It is a dirt cheap company right now. And, it, you know, I think it's, it's only going to go up from here. I'm sure you hear from clients, though, the reluctance to buy into China at this point. Yeah, I think I think there's reluctance to buy into a lot of themes right now. I mean, commodities, China, there's there's no doubt a lot of risks out there. But what I've found is that any area of the market that has like capital constraints and gated capital usually does really well. It's the sin stock effect. <laughs> you, would you characterize China and what's going on there? I as mean, that? so far, I, I would imagine that there is some reticence to buy just because of the the sort of the the geopolitical slash yeah. you know listing mm -hmm. risk, etc. So I think that that's. You know, that's a that's a factor that one has to think about. I mean, I, I think it's a trade off between liquidity and, you know, kind of 
thinking about where the growth is. And I, I right. think your, your guest's comment on he was surprised that fundamentals haven't kicked in at this right. point says everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in a market where there are so many fundamental opportunities. Mm -hmm. The question is, when are folks willing to step in and take right. a little bit of risk? Coming up, red hot housing data sending the home builders to new highs. Is it time for you to build a position in the sector? We'll dive into the options fits for that trade next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. KB Home, DR Horton, Lennar, and Pulte Group all hitting new 52-week highs today as investors digest May's better-than-expected housing starts data. Options traders are betting this is great news for KB Home ahead of tomorrow's earnings report. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so right now the options market's implying a move of about 5.5% by the end of the week after they report earnings. We saw calls basically trading 3.3 times the average daily volume, and the busiest of those was the July 55s. We saw just under 1,500 of those trading for just under a buck. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock is going to continue to rally through earnings. All right. Thanks, Mike. Mike Coe for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we are watching shares of Exact Sciences after some news on its cancer screening and diagnostic tests. The CEO will join us live for a deep dive on what this means for treatment and for investors. Stick around. More Fast Money in Tune. Welcome back to Fast Money. Exact Sciences shares popping after the company announced positive trial results for its next-gen colorectal cancer test. The company's new Collagard screening technology successfully detected cancer in 94% of test subjects and had 30% fewer false positive results compared to a previous offering. Joining us to break down the results is Exact Sciences uh, CEO Kevin Conley. Kevin, great to have you with us. Melissa, thanks for having us. It's so great to be on your show. <laughs> you sound like a happy man. Um, you know, analysts were, were looking for 89 plus, 90 plus um, in terms of improving that rate. You got to 94 uh, percent. What does this mean for patients? It's a home run for patients. And let me provide a little context. Colon cancer is number two deadliest cancer. And the challenge is not enough people are getting screened. Screening saves lives. We know it. And 60 million people, about half of the people who are recommended for screening, aren't up to date with their screening. Cologuard revolutionized cancer, colon cancer screening. About 10 million people have been screened with Cologuard to date. And now what we call next generation Cologuard, these data, these results show a significant step up in performance in terms of detecting cancer and in terms of lowering the false positive rate. Help us understand the market at this point. Um, you know, there are a number of people who might have gotten false positives. Those tests are good for 10 years. So those people have been screened. They won't be taking another test for 10 years. So how can we think about this market and who will actually use this test? Yeah, the, first of all, the data. The data from the study showed that this next generation version of Cologuard detects 94% of cancers Putting that in context, the main guideline group um, says that colonoscopy detects 95%, so they're awfully close. Um, in terms of the false positive rate of Cologuard, it was 13%, and now these new data show that it's only 9%. That's a 30% decrease, meaning 30% fewer people need to go unnecessarily to a colonoscopy, meaning they can avoid a colonoscopy and stick with Cologuard. So everybody wins. The other th important thing about this study is it showed 
our test's ability to detect 75% of the most advanced precancers. And these are precancers that are maybe one to three years away from turning into stage one cancer. By finding them, removing them, that's addressing the problem early. I wanted to ask you about uh, screening for advanced adenoma. I, I know analysts were saying that this would be secondary to colorectal cancer, um, but what are your findings there? And could that be a reason uh, for the Cologuard 2.0 test eventually? Yes, uh, Melissa, it's a really important part of screening is to find precancerous polyps, especially the advanced ones, and importantly, stage one and stage two cancers, which are the ones that are the most treatable. So stage one patients, 98 out of 100 people survive five years. Stage four colon cancer, eight out of 100 people survive five years. So hmm. earlier detection is everything. There's right. no therapy as effective as earlier detection and now non-invasive screening in your home with Cologuard and this next generation version. We're just thrilled. And you have an investor day tomorrow, as I understand it. So uh, thank you, Kevin. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Melissa. We can't wait for the investor day tomorrow. All right. See, so you have Exact Sciences. That stock is up 6% right now um, and climbing in the after-hour session. Up next, your final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Savita. So, look, I, I think it's a stock picker's market, but if I were going to buy a group, it would be home improvement plays because we've seen that every time home builders rally, a couple of months later, home improvement. Great. Tim Seymour. Savita, you need to come back more often. Yep. Um, and I, I think Alibaba. And, and I know we've had many different times of trades. A lot to be to be proven here, but even some of the parts. Look at AliCloud. Alibaba, this is important news, I think. Courtney, actually was gonna gonna choose Alibaba, but instead I'll choose EEM here, which really? is one of the top foldings. Yes. Um, I think emerging markets of Alibaba, it's a, it's a great play right now. You got a lot of time. I know. I, I was gonna say. Like, <laughs> are you sure you wanted to do that? Wow. Well, sure you can bring Tim back I'm in sure here or something can, like I'm, that. I'm still here. I'm we didn't talk much about yields, and I, I think okay. that the, the whole growth thing. I think the 10-year yield is gonna go back and retest that 335 level. I think you play that via the TLT on the long side. Are you so Vita was just shaking her head. No, no, I, yeah, real yeah, yields yeah. are going up. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. telling you. That's what you said. This is like a whole. You know You need to come back. You need to come back, and we need to do this one out. You and Dan. It was great to have you, Savita. Open invitation. Come on down the block whenever you feel like it. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, 
but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.